Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast. You need to become an informed patient because the world doesn't operate like it did in the 1950s. There's so much information out there that are, is at your fingertips. And if all you do is Google, the doctors always say, stay away from Google. I'm the opposite. The more you know, the better off you are. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to Episode 60 of the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode lot happening, a lot happening, a lot to get through and cover with you. We just came off of a fantastic undie run walk here in Tampa this past Saturday. I'm going to talk more about that event on the next episode of the podcast coming up on Tuesday, February 21st. I'll be sharing some of the interviews that I actually did at the undie run walk, interviewing some of the participants. We had such a blast. And I can't wait for you to listen in on that. What else is going on? Goodness, I have been so busy preparing for the upcoming PodFest Multimedia Expo. I've been honored to and invited to be one of the keynote speakers at this uh, podcasting conference that's taking place the weekend of February 24th at the Carib Royale Resort in Orlando. And I'll be giving a keynote uh, presentation in front of about 500 people talking about podcasting with a purpose. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with the folks uh, how the Colin Hanser podcast came to be, uh, my motivation, how it's worked for us. And there are two people who were such a part of our community who passed away last year that I'm going to be honoring during my presentation, and that is Sue Kadera and Nathan Allen. So as I have more information about uh, PodFest, I imagine there's going to be a Facebook Live going on. So you might be able to see my presentation live uh, once I find out. Uh, we'll share that information here on the podcast as well as on Facebook. But I can assure you that even if it won't be available live, there will be a video that will be available at some point after the conference. I'm really honored and very excited to participate in this conference. And the other thing that's happening at the conference is the premiere of the feature documentary film, The Messengers. And uh, I was honored, my wife Linda and I both, to have our story featured as part of this documentary film, The Messengers. And it is the intent to get this film out for people to see and up for award recognition. Uh, it'll be start off on iTunes, and we'll see where it goes from there. This film will be featuring the stories of podcasters from across the world. And if you want to get a little bit of taste of what the film is about, check out The Messengers Doc. That's D-O-C, themessengersdoc.com. And you can see what's happening with the film. Really excited to be a part of that as well. And I want to give a little shout out to the director of the film, my good friend, Neil Galarte. Not only is Neil the director of the documentary film, 
But Neil and his company, Wild Style Media, and uh, his partner, Ralph Lugo, are the editors of this podcast. So they helped me get this podcast out and on, on the air to you all. And I just want to thank uh, both of them for all that they do to, you know, to be the director of this film and then do all the podcast work, not just for me, but for many of my podcasting uh, compadres. Uh, these guys are superstars. So... Shout out to those guys, and, and thank you for all you do. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So, for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to h2ors.com sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. A lot of events taking place in the colon cancer community, so let's get to it and talk about what's happening. Coming up this evening, Tuesday, February 7th, is a webinar for volunteers. Tomorrow can't wait. Volunteer and make a difference in your community. Uh, you know, does this sound like you? Are you someone that loves sharing your story and experience of, of what you've done, how you've been able to give back to the colon cancer community? Are you one that wears royal blue every single day? If these things describe you, then you need to be volunteering and helping us out at the Colon Cancer Alliance. So we have a webinar for you to learn how you can do that. Again, that's taking place this evening, Tuesday, February 7th, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can learn more about this webinar by visiting the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Another webinar that's coming up, and this is taking place on Wednesday, February 22nd, also at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. This one is really interesting, folks. This is the latest in colorectal cancer, the findings and learnings from the recent 2017 ASCO GI Cancer Symposium. ASCO stands for the American Society of Clinical Oncologists. You heard Dr. Laura and I talk about that in our last episode, episode 59. So there's been a record-breaking number of advances in colorectal cancer over the last year. This webinar is going to talk about uh, treatment and, the sur and survivorship landscape, how it's dramatically changed with FDA-approved new drugs and immunotherapy trials. You don't want to miss this webinar. Again, it's coming up on Wednesday. February the 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register for this webinar also on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. If you have an ostomy and are experiencing leakage, that is not normal and you don't have to live with leakage. Feeling secure is important to be able to do the things you enjoy without worrying that you may have to deal with an embarrassing leak. 
Skin-friendly Brava Elastic Barrier Strips from Coloplast are designed to prevent the edges of your barrier from lifting and help to keep your barrier securely in place. They are elastic and are designed to move with you as you bend and stretch. The innovative Brava Elastic Barrier Strips from Coloplast are a skin-friendly alternative to tape and are available for you to try today. Don't let leakage rule the day. Call one 855 430-9500 today to receive a free sample of Brava Elastic Barrier Strips. Speaking of the Undie Run walks, the next stop for the Undie Run is coming up on Saturday, February 25th. For our friends out on the West Coast, it's in Sacramento. The Undie Run walk will be at William Land Park at 9 a.m. on Saturday, February 25th. Another exciting event taking place. If you like to knock down those pins and roll that ball down the aisle and you're in the Washington, D.C. area, come on out and strike out colon cancer bowling tournament is where you want to be. This is going to be on Sunday, February 26th from noon to 2 p.m. at Pinstripes. Pinstripes is located at 1064 Wisconsin Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C., it's a little bowling tournament to better benefit the Colon Cancer Alliance. More information, again, can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. And don't forget, it's coming soon. Colon Cancer Awareness Month, the month of March. So start pulling out all that blue and get ready. Uh, Dress in Blue Day is Friday, March 3rd. And all that information about Dress in Blue Day and all that's taking place for National Colon Cancer Awareness Month, all that information can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Do you find frequent trips to the bathroom and all the excess wiping leaving you feeling not quite clean and a bit irritated? I know I did until I came across Fresh Assist. And Fresh Assist is a natural oil and aloe-based spray. And what it does is it turns dry toilet paper into a moistened, cleansing, cooling wipe. And as they say, helps you get clean in between. You can get Fresh Assist by clicking on the Fresh Assist logo on the Colon Cancer Podcast website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. And it will direct you to Amazon where you can get either a single bottle or a two-pack. And if you get a two-pack and use the coupon code 2FRESH, that's T-W-O-F-R-E-S-H, they'll take $2 off of a two-pack order. Don't forget at the end of my interview today to stay tuned for the Ask the Doctor segment where Dr. Laura Porter and I uh, get to talk about one of the commonly asked questions that has uh, been surfaced through the online community. So it may have been your question, who knows, but make sure you stay tuned after my interview for Ask the Doctor. Speaking of that interview, I'm really excited to share with you this week my interview with Stephen Estrada. I had the pleasure of meeting Stephen at the uh, Metastatic Colorectal Cancer Symposium this past November at Mason, Arizona, and it was such a pleasure to get to meet Stephen in person, and he agreed to come on and uh, share his story on the Colon Cancer Podcast, and you're really going to love this one. Stephen talks about uh, the active role he takes in his treatment plan 
and I can't emphasize the word active enough. He refers to him as the coach of his of his team, and he truly is. He talks a lot about that, a lot about how he's worked to find the clinical trials that have helped save his life. And uh, so join me now for my conversation with Stephen Estrada. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Lee. How are you tonight? Good. It was so great to meet you at the symposium in Arizona. It's, it's one of the things that, I mean, there's a lot of great things about being able to get, get together at those kinds of events. But the best part is, is to actually make face-to-face and co- connections with people you only know virtually. And you get to give people hugs and talk to them. And it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What an interesting experience it is. Uh, meeting someone just off of Facebook, you realize that there's a whole life and personality behind that profile. No question. So, uh, and, and, and getting to talk to you and to Kenley really were uh, a few of the highlights and, and it was great. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story here on the podcast. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, it's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so you were diagnosed just two years ago at the young age of 28. And uh, tell us what that was like. I mean, the, the, the whirlwind behind how you just came to be diagnosed and, and to, to where you are today. Yeah, you know, it all seemed to happen very quickly. But at the same time, everything seemed to slow down dramatically within my world. Um, you know, I had been feeling abdominal pain for, I guess, probably about six or seven months before my actual diagnosis. Um, and had written it off as to maybe celiac disease or something else that I've been eating. Never once um, did I really think cancer, um, especially at 28 years old. So I actually went to the ER twice trying to get some type of help. And it was at that point that I hit my first roadblock. I realized that the hospital I was at at that time uh, really didn't offer what I needed, or, or at least they weren't willing to give it to me. I was treated more of um, kind of a drug abuser. I got the heavy sense that the doctors weren't willing to help me because they thought I was there just looking for painkillers. Because I guess at the end of the day, abdominal pain is such a, a, a wide symptom. It could be anything. So I finally got in with my primary care doctor and I told her I was not leaving her office until I got a CT scan. And at that moment, I actually had lymph nodes in my back that were about the size of peaches, and she felt them. Her entire demeanor changed, and um, I think it was at that moment that I knew it was cancer. Um, I remember telling her that I didn't know what cancer felt like, but I was almost 100% sure that that's what I had. Uh, I, of course, had no idea to of the degree uh, that I had it, which ended up being stage four. Um, but it just, it, it was so odd being 28 and being diagnosed with stage four cancer, I suppose. And I mean, and it took her off, uh, off guard. It took everyone off guard. So um, it put me in a really, really interesting spot, I guess. To say the least. I mean, what was your initial reaction of just coming from the perspective of that's what you suspected to the point of where it was actually confirmed that you were right? Yeah. You know, as much as I suspected it, I still had something in the back of my head that said, oh, it's it's a blockage, you know, whatever that is, because I, I knew nothing about any of this. Um, so the day that I went for my CT scan results, I had told my partner to go to work that day that it was probably just a blockage, that everything was going to be fine. And 
after a lot of persuading, he agreed. And so I went to the doctor's office by myself. And when the head of the practice walked in, who I had not met before, uh, that's when I knew. He didn't have to say anything. I do remember him saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. Hines and I'm here to answer any questions you might have because this is serious and I need you to take this as seriously as possible. And it was kind of at that moment where I felt like I was plunged underwater and everything slowed down. Um, and I remember thinking, how and why? And then I thought um, in the moments after when I was left in the room to call my partner and let him know, I honestly thought for the first time in my life that it would be so easy to just get in my car and drive off a bridge because I didn't know anything about cancer. Everything I had known up to that point was a Hollywood movie where the cancer patient is always bald, is always five pounds, and is always dying. They never make it to the credits. And that's what I thought I was, that was, that's what I thought was going to happen to me. What changed your mind? Oh, it took a while. I mean, if, you know, everyone goes, everyone who's been diagnosed with uh, cancer, regardless of the stage, goes through that, that couple weeks of mourning, um, kind of reflecting on your life and, and what's important and what's not anymore. Um, but one day I woke up and just decided that's, that's not going to work for me. Granted, this was after an emergency surgery. I was rushed in for a, a right hemicolectomy where they removed a large portion of my colon. Um, three weeks later, I met with my oncologist. It all happened so quickly. But I remember when my oncologist told me that I probably wouldn't see 30. That's when I decided you're wrong. And I'm going to make the best out of this. And I'm going to see 30 somehow. And, um, I fired her, needless to say. I, I, I thank her for where she got me through the first round of treatment, but I certainly couldn't be with someone who, who saw me already as an expired person. So I, I think it was her, and I hate saying negativity, but her negativity is really what fueled the fire for me to get better and, and to do better by myself and to um, find out what my options were exactly. Let me let me jump in here. You fired your oncologist. You are not the first guest that I've had the privilege of interviewing on this show that has used that term. Uh, but you're probably the youngest, and, <laughs> and 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 I and I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully. My point being is, from from where I sit, so often people put doctors up on pedestals and thank goodness for doctors because you and I wouldn't be having this conversation without them. Absolutely. You're stage four, I'm stage four. But to tell a doctor you're not the right one for me is not something that a lot of people are probably comfortable with. Talk to me a little bit about that, uh, where that came from. Well, you know, I think it might be sort of a generational thing. I think that the older you are, the more experience you have with doctors, you know, just for random everyday things. So um, you become a little bit more skeptical because you know your body. But when you're younger, you don't have that experience. And you tend to just take the doctor at their words. And if they say this is what we're going to do, and that's the only way, you tend to just go with that. That's our, that's in our media. That's on our TV shows. You watch any medical show and the doctor is the one who saves the day, not, not usually the patient. Um, and I'm, 
I tend to be a pretty positive person. So when she was telling me the statistics and and telling me that I probably wasn't going to make it and to get my affairs in order, that wasn't going to cut it for me. So um, I did go through six months of chemo with her because that's that's all I that's what I knew I had to do at that point. The goal was to get to a second surgery, and when she got me there. Um, I knew that that was the perfect time to cut ties with her. I had been doing some of my own research online with different support groups that I belong to, and I was led to another doctor who is considered to be one of the better oncologists, um, GI oncologists in the nation. So when I found out he was willing to see me, I, I had to jump ship on my old oncologist, and that was probably one of the best decisions. Well, it is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. It gave me my life. What was the big change from the, the one doctor to the current doctor? You know, on with my first oncologist, I had a lot of doom and gloom, um, very textbook analysis of who I am as a person. I should mention I'm also Lynch positive, so that put me in a different box than I think most colorectal pan- cancer patients. Um, but she didn't treat me that way. When the genetics are different, the treatment can be different. Um, you know, one of the backbones, 5-FU, uh, the colorectal cancer treatment was kind of detrimental to Lynch patients. And when I found that out, I realized she wasn't doing her homework and I had to do mine. That led me to Dr. Messersmith at the University of Colorado. And um, just walking in and shaking his hand the first day, I knew something was different. It wasn't, you've got a year and a half to live. We're going to keep you comfortable. It was, I've got something for you. I'm willing to think outside of the box. What are your thoughts? Where do you want to go? And that was a huge shift. That was um, a really a defining moment in my life. I felt like Dr. Messersmith gave me the power back. Put you in control. Absolutely. So the other thing that I heard you say, Stephen, that's interesting is, you know, you went online and did research. And, and there's two ways to kind of play online, for lack of a better word. There's those that go online to look up statistics and, and and view themselves as a statistic, and then there are those that go online to learn and to become empowered. And you certainly fall into that category. Yeah, you know, I like to think I, I draw from a little of both categories. I, um, I'm definitely a very analytical person. Um, I like to know as much as I can. I'm the type of person who can't even go see a new movie because I have to look up the ending before I even get there. Um, <laughs> so I really like to know as much as I can about something. And that Do you at least keep really it to well. yourself or do you share it with, with your partner and spoil it for him? Um, depends on how I'm feeling that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I really, after I saw the statistics, um, that really kind of lit a fire under me. And that led me to do more research about what having Lynch syndrome means and what that means as far as treatment is concerned. Um, And thank God I did that because that led me actually to um, an online support group called Colon Town that was hosting a Christmas party the December after I was diagnosed. And it was there that I met many stage four survivors and uh, it was there that I received Dr. Messersmith's card. And I mean, it all just kind of snowballed. And so I really think it's, it's one of those situations where the more you know, the more empowered you are. Talk to us more about Colon Town. 
the Colon Cancer Alliance uh, started and has a long history with their group known as Blue Hope Nation. And then when uh, we merged with Chris for Life, at Colon Town was a, is was the go-to resource for that organization. And now that we're all under one br- umbrella, I, f- I, I see and, and felt uh, at the symposium not not a competition, but a lack of knowledge of from one side of the other of the other group, if you will. So, for our friends in Blue Hope Nation that have kind of heard about Colin Town, and certainly got a nice plug on NBC News the other night. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, t- tell us about Colin Town, and and why people who may not be familiar with it uh, should be. Yeah. Um... You know, with all that said, I didn't really know much about Blue Hope Nation um, up until the symposium. And I don't know where that disconnect happened. You know, I'm very involved in the community and um, with the Colon Cancer Alliance. So I don't know how that happened. But because it happened to me, I can see how it happens to many other people. And I think that that divide needs to be closed a little more because at the end of the day, you can never have enough support, regardless of where it's coming from. I think that um, Blue Hope Nation, now that I've been there for you know a couple of months, I see the support that it lends and I see what it does and it's truly incredible. And Colon Town offers um, a lot of the same things, but it also, I think, offers a little bit more of an individualized support group. Colon Town is kind of the umbrella support name, but then underneath that we have about 40 different neighborhoods is what we call them. Um, And this is all on Facebook that you can join. So let's say you are stage four, a female, and you have liver mets. Well, you can be in Colentown, the umbrella, as well as the women's group where you can talk about maybe the aftermath of radiation or, or infertility. You can also be in Livers Lane, which is all about what to do with liver mets and and different procedures that people have done and side effects. But then you can also be in the Four Corners, which is, uh, you know, a place specifically for stage four survivors where we can relate to each other and talk to each other about things that really might be scary to earlier staged people. So um, I think that Blue Hope Nation and Colon Town are, are very, very, very similar. But in the ways that they are different, they're very different. And I think that that's why it's important to really and truly belong and be active in both. Um like I said, you can never have too much support. And for those listening that are want to find their way into Colon Town, that's through colontown.org, correct? Absolutely. You go there, and there's a little um, survey of sorts, and you fill that out, and that's just uh, our little vetting process. It's a, it's a secret group on Facebook, so when you are admitted into it, it's safe, it's secure, nothing you post will ever be seen by any of your other friends, I believe, much in the same way Blue Hope Nation is. Um, but Absolutely, we do I'm, I'm actually one of the administrators of Blue Hope Nation, so uh, there good, we go. good chunk of my day is keeping out uh, all the snake oil sales people. That exactly, are to so, in, so you know, <laughs> and that's why I think what you and I do are so important, because you're right, there are a lot of people trying to sell a cure or, or take advantage of people's emotional states, and I think it's people like you and I who refuse to allow that, um, that are really, really important to these communities. Yeah. And so once people are admitted to Colon Town, how do they find their way and learn about all of the vast different neighborhoods and what they're about? 
You know, I think Colentown is most well known for our welcoming committee. We've got a really solid group of people who um, do the vetting process and then add people into Colentown, the umbrella. And then there's another group of us who are admins for the 40 plus groups. So like I'm an admin for the Four Corners. I'm an admin for the Never Too Young Under 40s group. I'm also an admin for the, the clinic, which is where we talk about clinical trials and new medicines and new procedures. So um, depending on if you want into these groups, you would connect with one of us and we would go ahead and enter you in and give you a welcome message and really try to handhold up until you're ready to feel like you can do it on your own. That's great. That's fantastic. I love the whole welcoming uh, committee and how it really is tied to a real life neighborhood, if you will. Yeah, right. You know, one of the things, and we were chatting a little bit about this uh, before we went uh, live with this conversation, and we had the chance to meet at the uh, State Force Symposium in Mesa back in November. Clearly, uh, having met you there for the first time and heard you talk about your story, uh, my initial reaction, and my wife as well, was, wow, this is a guy that not only is informed, but clearly you came across as someone that was driving your treatment bus, so to speak, and you were clearly and are clearly uh, have taken control with the partnership of your doctor into what's happening with you. And, and I truly res respect and ad admire you for doing that. And my, my question following up that is that how do you or what advice do you have for people to follow in your path and, t and feel comfortable in taking that control like you have? You know, I always kind of use the analogy, and I've heard other people use it as well. Um, you've got to think of this whole thing as a football game, and you have your team, but you are the coach, and your oncologist is the quarterback. Your oncologist will get you to where you want to be, but you've got to give some direction. Um, you know, there's always plan B, and if you don't know what plan B is, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying great success on this immunotherapy trial that I'm on, but I already know what's going to happen next in case my disease progresses. I know what we're going to do. Everybody's on board. And it was talked about several months ago. And I think a lot of patients are so focused on um, the here and now. And I, I think you should be, but I think you need to give a little bit of yourself to the future as well. I know uh, as a stage four patient, a lot of people are sometimes scared to think about the future or um, too far down the road. And I think that's a fear that we have to get rid of and we have to defeat in order to progress as, as patients and especially as informed patients. Um, information can be scary, but it can also be incredibly useful and it can guide you through some of the hardest situations, but you're never gonna know that unless you do a little bit of research yourself. I hear time after time of patients being, um, you know, today's a perfect example. I brought someone into the clinic, and it was a woman who had been through 36 rounds of um, fulfirinox, which is like the nuclear bomb of colorectal chemo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been lucky enough not to have that one, but she's been through 36 treatments, which is well, well over a year. And she just found out that she is Lynch positive, which completely, completely redirects her treatment plan and she could have saved her body so much stress and damage had her doctors had known what they were looking for. 
Um, she does go to a smaller cancer center um, and not saying anything negative about them, but I feel like if you want one up on cancer, you need to go to an NCI designated hospital. Or Amen. At least, Amen. Yes. Or at least a teaching hospital where they're on the cutting edge of what's coming out. You know, I started off at a, at a run-of-the-mill cancer center, sitting next, you know, my, my oncologist treated a breast cancer patient before me and then after me with prostate cancer. What made me think that she knew the ins and outs of colorectal cancer, much less Lynch syndrome? So I, I think you really need to be choosy about picking your team and um, utilizing the information that you gain. No question. And how did you find yourself or, and find the information that got you into that clinical trial, Stephen? You know, um, when I had met Dr. Messer Smith after I had fired my first oncologist, I was presumed NED. I had just gone through a very large surgery that nearly killed me, of course, and um, it was a nano knife procedure. So when I went to Dr. Messersmith, he said, okay, this should buy you about two years of time before we have to do anything about that tumor. So um, that was not the case. The surgery actually ended up failing me and uh, the tumor was growing within two weeks, causing me pain again. I had a quick CT scan, and as soon as Dr. Messersmith saw that it was growing, he um, told me, look, Stephen, you have Lynch syndrome. That gives you a certain genetic profile that uh, it really responds well to immunotherapy. I have a phase one trial. Uh, I really think you should join it. Then I go research what phase one means, and it scares the crap out of me. That just It sounds like everyone who enrolls in them never makes it to the end, and that's just not true at all. And I am living proof of that. Um, I asked my doctor if he would do this. And he said that without a doubt, if he was in my shoes, he would jump at this chance. And that's where I think that we need to listen to our doctors is if they feel so passionate about something new or something exciting, why not take that shot? The way he presented it to me was I've only failed one line of treatment. I didn't even really fail it. I just completed the six months course of it. Um, why not try an immunotherapy now? And if it fails, I still have a whole list of chemos to go back to. And that's what I did. And in that year and a half now that I've been on this trial, there are more immunotherapy drugs coming out or more trials that I'm not only eligible for, but I could also get them off label if I really needed to. So um, many people who call it treading water and it's just treading water until the next big thing. And all we have is Oh, gosh, there's just so much coming out right now, and it's so exciting. And if we can just wait for the next big breakthrough, there's going to be so many more survivors. From your mouth to God's ears, but I certainly agree with you. It's just really, in the last year or so, seems to be coming one after another. Yes. Well, Stephen, as we wrap up, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I ask pretty much all my guests, and that is if someone were to listen in uh, to our interview who they themselves recently were diagnosed or someone they care deeply for was diagnosed, uh, what do you want them to know? Hmm. I want them to know, first off, that it's okay to be upset and it's okay to take time to yourself and it's okay to process everything. I think that there's um, a little bit of an added, I think a lot of people think that they have to jump right in and and give it everything without ever mourning the life that they've lost. Um, because as soon as you're diagnosed with cancer, your whole life shifts and you become a new person. So I think it's okay to take off 
a week or so and mourn for yourself, but then you have to get right back into it and you have to know your enemy. And if that means getting genetic profiling on your tumor, um, you need to do that. That's really not an if for me. You need to be doing that. Um, and your doctor needs to be on top of that. You need to be looking for biomarkers. You need to become an informed patient because the world doesn't operate like it did in the 1950s. There's so much information out there that are, is at your fingertips. And if all you do is Google, the doctors always say, stay away from Google. I'm the opposite. The more you know, the better off you are. Um, so that's what I tell patients that I meet every day. Um, take time to yourself and then arm yourself with as much information as you can. That's great advice. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, I, I think uh, when your story continues to spread and more and more people hear uh, the approach that you've taken, that you'll continue to inspire many people to become their own coach and, uh, and, and take some action. And I know you put yourself out there and make yourself available and people can find you online uh, in Colon Town, right? Absolutely. Colontown.org. Okay. okay. Uh, and I want to wish you just all the best and uh, continued good scans, uh, good things on the health front. And, and thank you for all that you're doing uh, to, to make a difference in the colorectal cancer community. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you having me on as a guest. It's been my pleasure. It's time for Ask the Doctor, where your questions about colorectal cancer are answered by Dr. Laura Porter. Dr. Porter is the medical advisor and senior patient advocate for the Colon Cancer Alliance. Hi, Dr. Laura. How are you today? Good. How are you, Lee? Doing well. So my question today, as I've received from several of the podcast listeners, this comes up quite often, and that is about clinical trials. So can you tell us what exactly are clinical trials? When is the right time to talk to my doctor about trials? And thirdly, where can I get information about clinical trials? So, um, yeah, this is a real important question. And I think one of the most important things is that uh, the problem is getting people recruited for clinical trials. Only 3% of patients with cancer enroll in clinical trials. So uh, with that being said, uh, clinical trials are basically studies that are done to see how new treatments work in people. Now, there are several phases, each requiring a different group of people and each looking at a different aspect of the medication or drug that they're looking at. So phase one trials usually test for safety, and it's usually a very small number of patients. Phase two, look at dosage. So what's the appropriate dose? What dosage do most people respond to? And phase three expands to include more people once they have an idea of the dosage. And it is... Uh, when they uh, expand for the most people. So as far as the best time to look for a trial, I would say any time throughout your journey. So even when you are first diagnosed, look for trials. Uh, this is especially important with rectal cancer because they're doing a lot of trials now with rectal cancer to see who needs chemo and who needs surgery. And usually you have to be treatment naive. Now, treatment naive means that you have not been treated before with any drugs, surgery, radiation, et cetera. 
So some of the trials that are available for colon and rectal cancer require you to be, like I said, treatment naive. And others may allow for people that have been heavily treated. So they've gone through first, second, third, fourth line even of therapy. So this is real important. So there's no wrong time to look for a clinical trial. All physicians, all physicians should be willing to discuss clinical trials with you at all steps along the journey. So we have several resources available um, on the Colon Cancer Alliance website, also on colontown.org. You can join Colon Town and go into uh, in, and apply for the group called The Clinic. And we have a clinical trials matching service also on the Colon Cancer Alliance website. And that website is ccalliance.org. Dr. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast presented by Coloplast. And thanks again to our sponsors, Coloplast, A2ORS, and Fresh Assist for your support. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud supporter of Jeannie's Blue Angels, helping to provide financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. Thanks for listening to the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit thecoloncancerpodcast.com forward slash subscribe. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Again, that's ccalliance.org. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.